All right. Welcome everyone back to Dissecting Popular IT Nerds. Today we have uh, Mark Kaplan on the show. And I'd just like to start off by saying, you know, seeing is honestly not always believing. I, I don't think you agree with that, but I'm just going to, I'll let you introduce yourself, you know, Senior IT Director at, at Barbary Group. Um, you know, why do you say seeing is honestly believing? So in my business, you really don't always see with your eyes. You have to see with your mind. And what I mean by that is when you experience something, that's when you can really believe in it. You know, um, I'll even take it to a higher level. Why, Why do people believe in God? Because it's a belief that you have a strong belief in, in the in the entity. Mm-hmm. So when we're working in IT, a lot of times you cannot see with your eyes what you need to know to believe in something, but you can experience something to know that it was successful and believe in it. Mm. And you can also honestly believe that it was not successful as well. And no, not true. to go that direction. Um, Very true. You uh, last time we spoke, you you prided yourself in, in in living on the edge, the bleeding edge, the bleeding edge of technology. And a lot of people don't aren't willing to jump into uh, the bleeding edge right. of technology or jump right in right away. Why are you Why are you such a like this misfit that's uh, you know willing to like jump in right away? <laughs> I have been called that many times, really, by my mother. I think a long time ago. Um, I, I have, I've always had a very keen interest in technology since I was a kid, and I like seeing the new things that are out there. There is constant innovation going around, and you can either be the one who waits for everybody else to try it and then safely go into the water. Or you can be the one that rides the rapids. And I like to be the one that rides the rapids. I do it carefully, though. I make sure I have the right boat. I make sure I have the right equipment and the right people with me in that boat to do this type of work. And we we take things that are in early preview or public preview, and we test them out in our dev environments. And I have complete replicated environments for us to be able to do these things safely. And once we find something that that we like and that works well, I'll deploy it to production, even if it's still in preview. So essentially a a lab type of environment where you can do POCs and testing Mm -hmm. and and prove at least, you know, through 90% of the use cases, I'm I'm assuming uh, that, you know, this this would work good for us. And people will say, well, I don't have the, I don't have resources to do that. Uh Well, I didn't have them either, but that's why we're in the cloud, right? You spin up some dev environments at a much lower cost than production environments, and you have the ability to do all these tests. Yes. And you're an interesting, um, I mean, you're in education. Why don't you just give us a brief rundown of what you guys do? Because I think it is important because obviously some people are into, uh, you know, making break parts. Right. And, and it, to me, it really doesn't matter what business you're in when it comes to the technology side, as far as what you can accomplish. But we are a 53-year-old company. We take law school students and prepare them for the bar exam. Our entire course is online. 
um, and our LMS, which is a learn, learning management system for those not in the business, is uh, custom made with our own development team. Okay. Um, so that's changed over 52 years. <laughs> yeah. We've been online for 20 of those 50. So, wow, that's pretty. And you've been there for almost 10 years. So, yes. I years. mean, let's go back 10 years just for fun because that's. That's just a lot so of fun. That's, that's an interesting story. That's an interesting story for my company because 10 years ago, we were owned by a company called Thomson Reuters. And Barbary had no IT of its own other than some developers. They had no managed infrastructure of their own because they used Thomson Reuters. So I was hired to uh, de-integrate them from, from Thomson Reuters and build out a whole infrastructure. So I built two data centers, one on each coast. Not, they were colos. Um, and we operated six months out of each. It wasn't that one was a disaster recovery, that you sat there and hoped it worked. That's not how I operated it. I operated six months in each one. So I know they're fully up and capable. And if one goes down, I can fail over to the other five minutes. Then we that's decided. had to have changed a little bit. How did you got, how'd you link the two back then? What kind of pipes? Then we were EMC uh, on a, um, oh, this is. It's hard to think of 2011 as being back in time. To me, <laughs> it's really hard to think of 2011 as back in time, but it, I mean, it's, it's weird that that was 10 it years is. ago. I mean, did we, were you using MPLS or what were we doing back yes, then? Yes, yes. I was using it. And thank you. <laughs> MPLS is what I was struggling with. Such to an afterthought. You know, MPLS we don't even so have a core network anymore. It's, it's, it, the game has all changed. Um, yes, we used MPLS between the two. I had a dedicated circuit that ran between the two, it was fiber. And um, we had some back end connections as well in case of one went down. But it was an active-active configuration. So both SQL databases were always actually back then it was Oracle, and then we ended up moving to SQL. Mm. Um, and we used Oracle, I forget what they call it, data sync, I believe, uh, to keep the two in constant sync. So that in any moment I can flip from one to the other. Mm. Mm. You're, then, you're uh, keep going, go. No, go ahead. Well, I'm just thinking, I was just, you know, I've got to go get my COVID-19 test today because I'm traveling and now I've got to get a test and it's got to, I've got to, you know, make sure everything works out 72 hours before I travel. And I haven't really left the cave for, um, you know, I just, I don't usually see the light of day unless I'm out on the ocean, you know, surfing and picking seaweed out of my beard. <laughs> but, um, you know, I've got to leave and just, the thought of your business and COVID probably was, I would assume, little affected at all, if not benefited. Uh, COVID really didn't have a huge effect on us because we were already all online. You know, the only impact it had to me was to move my office people to home office. And, okay. Uh, convert a few desktops to laptops. But from a student perspective, we were already all, on, all virtual. You know, Do you see any yeah. reason now that you've moved home? Is there any reason why you would move back? No. No, none <laughs> of my people want to. They all, I'm still in the office. I'm the type of guy that I hate working from home. 
I wouldn't mind it if I lived alone. You're like the thank God it's Monday guy. Uh, yeah, I, I really look forward to my private office. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I came in when no one was here. The, yeah. the whole 28-story building, it was empty. But I still came in because I have my monitors on the wall. I have my privacy. And I have, this is where I can think. Can't think at home. Yeah, no, I got gotcha. you. Right, right now, I've got, I already had to text my wife and mute you while we were doing this to tell the kids to stop <laughs> jumping on the, on See, the ceiling God, upstairs. I don't the dogs barking. Or, it, it, it's, uh, but my people like it. And I've always been the type that uh, has been very uh, bending to people, especially my own resources. As long as they deliver, I really could care less where they are. Do it from a beach, for all I care. Who's your power what players? Make, What's your team look your like? Get your work done. What's your team look like? What's work to you? It's small. Uh, I have five infrastructure, which covers system and the network. Uh-huh. I have uh, three people on the help desk, one of which does the hardware. And then I have a team of uh, three on-site and 15 offshore developers. Oh, no, offshore dev. How do you how do you control those offshore developer guys? How, how do you like? Is there goals and implementation? I mean, is there some kind of like bonus you structure? To, you, if you're going to use offshore, which we did for financial reasons, yep, um, you have to be able to include them and in the team and manage them as you would an on-site person. Since everybody's remote. It really doesn't matter if it's onshore or offshore, as long as you can communicate and relate to the people you're working with. So we're very particular with who we who we bring on. I don't just call up a company and say, I need four developers. We actually interview them. And we decide who we're going to bring onto the team. And we include them as a member of the team, even though they're contractors. What in... Just, just for anyone that's that's never done this, that's never uh, outsourced something overseas or hasn't done that, or is new to doing that, or maybe thinking about it, how do you build? What 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 are the differences? Are there any key things that people need to know as far as be very specific when you request something, or understand that yeah. um, how do we uh, you know include various different uh, cultural differences or anything like that? I'm just thinking off the top so of my head here. You have to, first of all, once you get into offshore, you will get inundated with people that want to help you and want you to use their services. Um, there is a lot of competition out there. So you have, first of all, I want a company who is going to give me a dedicated person. First, I check the rates. Okay. That's the very first thing I check because if they're not in line with what I think I should be paying for this particular developer, then we move on. Mm. But once I have a company that has the rates I'm looking for and we interview the people, we make sure, and I include my lead developers in those interviews uh-huh. because they're the ones that are going to have to work with them. Yep. And I want them to tell me, hey, I like this guy or, hey, this guy can't even talk English. I'm not going to speak with him. Yeah. You know, it's, it's not the There's two types of offshore, to me, offshore development. You have the type where you're just going to, give a project to a company and say, build this, and you don't have to interact with anybody but me. And then there's staff augmentation. That's how I look at my offshore developers. They're staff augmentation. The, the, I could hire 
one developer here for, I don't know, 125000 a year. That's what they make or more. Or I can go offshore and pay $50 an hour for a developer who is skilled in the one area that I need him to do. Mm. Yeah, like my web development, I use a lot of, uh, it takes, it's, it's hard for me to sift and sort and find the right personality and find the right talent. That's they can true. get something done and get it done in a timely fashion and have it yep. be really crisp. Uh, That's why you got to talk to, you can't tell from a resume. I would never hire somebody just from a resume. It just, uh, it, 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 it's so easy to bullshit. I should, no, I can't use it. <laughs> Sorry. No, no, no. So <laughs> it is. Well, I kind of like I saw this post the other day about someone saying I was talking with a guy. Um, you know, I, I often am like kind of like surveying. I'm always surveying IT directors. Okay, what's your biggest single? I'll ask you right now. What is your biggest? And we'll use this as an example. What is your single biggest frustration, problem, or concern when it comes to IT management? Like, what's the biggest thing that you just bang your head against? Thing like, that keeps me up at night? Yeah, yeah. What is it? Retention. Huh. Honestly, retention. Because I have such a small team that I have built over the years. If one of them leaves, uh-huh. it hurts. So is it retention or is it ability to pay my guys what they're worth? Well, it's both, but it's not always just money. I only, I'm just saying I had that question because I just, I, I was speaking with an, another person that's going to have, it's a very secret, very secret interview that can't be released yet. Um, but he basically got to the point where he said, I'm, it, you know, it's kind of like the golden handcuffs is what we call them in the industry, right? You know, the mm-hmm. golden handcuffs. I'm, I'm at the point now where I'm like, I'm making enough money to keep the lights on, but I know I'm worth twice as much if I go here or if mm-hmm. I do this or I go on my own, but I just don't have the guts to do it or I don't know how to do it or, you know, whatever it is. And I'm just asking the tough question because I think it's a legitimate question. And the, It is and a legitimate the, question. It's a very legitimate question. But it depends on what stage you are in your life, too. Mm-hmm. I could make twice what I make, but I'd never be home. I would travel, have to travel all over the globe. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I don't want that at this stage in my life. I I'm tell people I'm happy where I am. Yeah. And, and yeah, I, I could make more, but I'm happy. I'm comfortable. And hey, good luck. I, I work four hours a day right now. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but I'm a workaholic. So this is the actual perfect job for me. Well, you have like, flexibility. You like where yeah. you are. Yeah, yeah, I got you. Yeah. I got you. Now I take my team, you know, I don't work four hours a day, by the way, I work. It's like, I'm either always working or always not working. So it's, know. you know, you, you never sleep. That's the problem. Um, <laughs> the, you know, I can, I, I, just, just I so you know, with, I have the data on that. I can share my sleep data for the, like every day. <laughs> no, I'm not, I'm, I'm telling you, I can tell you when I wake up at night, I have, I wear this aura ring. I've literally tracked my sleep data. Like that. Crazy. I have to sleep with a CPAP. So it's, <laughs> you know, I can tell you like, this is the night I took two Benadryl, four melatonin and <laughs> two, uh, some other route. I don't know. Anyways, go ahead. <laughs> no, what I wanted to say was that there are more than money that you can use to help retain your staff. And mm. to me, it's more a quality of life. Yeah, they can go down the street and make probably, I don't know, 30, 40% more. Mm. But they're not going to have the flexibility that I give them. The they're culture. not going to be able to come and go as they want. Work yeah. from home, work from the office, work from a beach. I could care less. Get, just get your work done. Work in the middle of the night. 
I don't care. Just and the work from the beach is on. um the 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 work from the beach is very very important to me. It really is. I'm serious because there's two. You know, things someday that I, I will do that. I, I always say it, and I've never done it. There's two things that I like to do, and I don't want to be on the beach when it's hot out. I want to be on the beach when it's snowing. There's two things that I really like to do. <laughs> I'm serious. There's two things. I like to surf in the winter time because that's when the waves are the best. People think you're crazy because I jump in the water when it's 39 degrees out. You're well, when it's 39 pool. degrees in the water, when the water's 39 degrees, when it's 13 you're one degrees of those outside. Yeah, and I like jujitsu. Do those cost okay. a lot of money? No. I can go buy a new surfboard. Even if you think a surfboard for $1,000 is a lot of money, fine. But it's not It's not a race car. Right. It's not, you know, I don't have to live in a, uh, a mansion. And, to, and I've realized that as you move on in your career and you start to make more money and you work harder and there's a lot of people that are out there to just, you know, go whatever. But um, you, you get to a certain point where you realize, you know, you really don't need that much money to be happy as long as you've got the flexibility in the culture. Now, everyone's going to say, you know, the people that say money isn't everything, but, you know, everyone wants to find it's out for something. themselves. It's everyone wants to find out for themselves. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know? But there's a question between comfortable and happy yeah. and uh, whatever you call Like the Pavlov's dog or, or not whatever. Happy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. There's a balance. So absolutely. Um, so, so retention is the biggest thing and the, Oh, and to transition into that. So I, I ask a lot of these, I, I, I survey a lot of people and, and one, um, it's an interesting, this guy got back to me last night and he said, I don't know how to, um, I don't know which ITIL certification program to take because there's so many of them out there and I can't tell which ones the differentiations between the two. And I was like, I think you're asking the wrong question. Why do you need an ITIL cert to begin with? He's like, because the recruiters are all asking for it now. Oh, why do you need a, well, why do you need a recruiter? And, you know, because maybe you should just go after the company that you actually want to work for and go straight to the top and sell yourself to the, the CEO over there, because that's where the break is happening in IT. There's not enough conversations between uh, high executive management and technology. I don't know. That's, um, I just found it interesting that he said, I, I need to go get this certification because if I don't put it on my resume, which you just said is a bunch of garbage anyways. Um, I don't know. What do you think about that? No, I did not say it was. The <laughs> well, you said it could be lies. It, it, you know, we, need to could, test. we need to verify. We need to be embellished. I'll put it that way. <laughs> it needs that we need to check it. We need to verify checks and balances. Okay. I got you. Um, you are a huge, and I have no affiliation with this whatsoever. We're going to take a commercial break right now for anyone out there listening to dissecting popular IT nerds. If you actually like this show, please go to iTunes because that's what rates all the popularity of podcasts in the world and give us your honest review. I just want an honest review. You, you go to iTunes, you, you search in the little search bar, Dissecting Popular IT Nerds, you scroll to the bottom where the stars are and give me a star and an actual legit review, please. That would be great. Um, if, you wanna, if, you're, if you hate iPhones and everything to do with iAnything, that's fine. I guess go give me a review somewhere else. But what matters for, for whatever reason is you know, the, the iTunes. Okay. Um, and, and the reason why I'm saying there's no commercial affiliate with this whatsoever, and if this company wants to come be a sponsor of mine, that's great. But you happen to really love Dynatrace 
And I just want to talk about it for a few minutes because you seem to be their like poster child. And I'm assuming you don't get paid by them anyways. I'm sure they send you some great swag, but you know, let's just talk about it. I have it a couple of t-shirts and a, and a hat. Um, <laughs> but yes, Dynatrace. I got involved with Dynatrace a uh, long time ago, five years ago. They, they had this whole product that I never used. And I met this guy who talked to me about a product they had in development. And it was a, uh, an APM that they were building from the ground up specifically for cloud. It worked on Prime 2, but they, want, they were building it from the ground up to be cloud native. And back then it was called Ruxit. And I worked with him through the development uh, as a tester. And they used my environments as, a, as kind of a guinea pig until they uh, perfected the product into what they call now Dynatrace One, which is their SaaS product. They retired all of their old products. One of the few companies I've ever known to throw away all of their old code and start fresh from the ground up. And they they have developed over the years the most amazing product I've ever seen, uh, only in the fact that it, it's ability to analyze problems and point you to where you need to go to fix it is just phenomenal to me. Can you give they me an it. example of how it has affected your life? Can you do that? Yeah, I, I can give you one, actually. I, I used to have a routine where I had to leave very early uh, from my house because, like I said, I like to work in the office. So the first thing I would do when I got out of the office and come in early is go through all the reports, look for errors that happened during the night, what's my aptX ratings on the, on the applications that we present to the students. And um, what ended up happening was I found out that this uh, I, uh, AI called Davis, you could interact with over Alexa. So I installed the skill on Alexa, and I can now ask Davis for my morning report, which I do on my drive to work. Mm. So the whole drive to work, I I get the Aptex ratings on the applications. I get any open problems or any problems that were opened and closed during the night. And by the time I get to work, that part is done. And how do you how do you remember this stuff on your drive? Texting? Well, I don't have to remember anything <laughs> if it's all good, right? <laughs> if I have open problems, I'm gonna remember those. And the first thing I do when I come in is open the dashboard and see what the problems were. Or I could stop and look at my phone app and see what there were too. But Davis is telling me the the crux of the problem and the fact that it's still open. So So that that means somebody's working well. Somebody on my team better be working well. If I was to ask somebody um, what their single biggest struggle, frustration, problem, or concern is, and they say X, your answer would be Dynatrace, what would their problem be? What's the biggest problem it's going to solve? You know what I mean? What's what's the biggest problem this you know, the biggest I mean, pro- what an APM is designed for first off is to tell you if you have any problems in your infrastructure, right? right. Are you, what's your load? What's your CPU usage? What's your memory utilization? What's your database latency? Are you experiencing user latency? Those are all the types of things that a general APM 
will do. Now, Dynatrace is taking it a step further with, the, aside from standard APM, uh-huh. they're getting into security. So they actually analyze the code and give you the vulnerabilities that normally I wouldn't find until I ran a pen test. Okay. Um, and For example, give me some examples. There are some security issues. Well, let's say I had a SQL injection vulnerability and I didn't know it. Normally, and that's not something that the average person would expect to be hit with, uh-huh. but a SQL injection vulnerability for the right hacker could present a lot of problems if you're the type of organization that gets attacked. Um, we don't like putting those things out there, but we don't know about them until we run a tool that tells us we have them. And the tools that use databases like Sneak, which is the leader in this space, are out of reach for a company my size. It's just financially not possible. So now I have a tool that integrates that into a tool that I already have and gives me access to data that, again, I normally would not see until I ran a third-party pen test. Super. Um, and I, I don't know ahead. how to, I, I don't know how else to ask this question. Um, any weird, um, what's the craziest maybe without, you know, giving up any, what are the, what are the things that end users do that have been, kind of crazy or um, maybe shadow IT decisions or, you know, how do you manage Actually, that stuff? I'll give me a different one, which I think of what you're looking for. We had, we had an issue that with uh, Microsoft, we use Azure SQL as mm-hmm. our database backend. And we pay a lot of money for that. And I have Dynatrace hooked into it. So we get alerts when something goes wrong. Uh-huh. And in the middle of the night, we had something go wrong. <laughs> And we did. Why does it have to be in the middle of the night? <laughs> it's always in the middle of the night. You know, <laughs> 2 a.m., get the call. So we, we initially thought we had a database problem. And we woke up the DBA and we, and we started digging into it. And Dynatrace kept pointing to the database structure itself. Not, not the data, but the underlying infrastructure. Uh-huh. But we don't have full visibility into that. So we didn't have any specifics. So, of course, we have to go through the rigmarole of opening up a support ticket. And we're Premier Support, so they respond right away. But everybody knows what it's like to deal with any support, gathering logs and doing all this crap. Turns out, in the end, what happened was they were performing maintenance, and the database, which is supposed to, auto-failed over to another instance. Well, apparently that instance had underlying hardware problems that Microsoft wasn't aware of, which caused huge latencies in our applications, and none of the users were able to log in. So it took them, I want to say about four hours to believe us and get the data, get the database itself moved to a different home. This was an Azure thing. This is Azure. Yeah. yeah. It took them four hours after what you guys providing them. Well, it took, most of the time took for us to prove it. 
right? Because they gathering logs, yeah, opening a ticket, gathering logs, yep. doing all this crap, gathering. In my in my biggest familiarity, of that is like gathering, you know, failed call routes and stuff like that, and providing basically yeah evidence, right. <laughs> Uh, so I, that sticks in my mind because it's the rare case where they did admit fault. <laughs> and they gave you a gift certificate to the Outback? Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> I got I, I got bupkis. That's what I got. <laughs> <laughs> One time I, uh, my, my, my intro into the, to my leaving the years of retail and knowing that I needed to, I don't know, find some other industry before this Cisco startup hired me was when I sold something like $72,000 worth of coffee machines in three weeks because I, I don't know, you know, listened to some like sales CD, like Zig Ziglar and like Tony Robbins and figured, oh, let's just apply this to coffee machines and see if it works, right? It works like crazy. And, uh, this little small coffee shop in, in Colorado was like 13th out of like 13,000 stores, you know, like there's huge, massive, like Starbucks stores, you know, and they're like, congratulations, Phil Howard, your team is amazing. You guys killed the budget. It was so awesome. Like, you know, it's like, no one's ever going to be able to do this again. And congratulations. Here's your $50 gift certificate to the Outback. <laughs> oh, wow. That's, you know, that's it's dramatic. like it's just <laughs> no it's like well it just that kind of gets back to again um sometimes we do things that are so valuable as a an employee or a member of the team that is um worth more than uh our yearly salary i guess and uh, you know how do we it's at that point that you're like you're kind of looking like you said it gets back to the the retention problem and the retention issue and and when you when you've noticed something like that how do you recognize an employee that has done something that's been just so ex, you know exponentially valuable i think we you know it's just like hey thank you thanks microsoft um nothing against exactly. them <laughs> uh been outstanding if you had you know, being, uh, uh, well, let me ask you this, since I never got to ask you this at the beginning of the story, what was your first computer and, um, how did you get started in this whole, this crazy? <laughs> That's a great one. Um, I, I actually attended uh, college for business administration. I was a uh, controller at the time I decided to quit and go into IT fresh. Mm. I had, my first computer had no hard drive. It had dual five and a quarter floppies and a turbo button on the front. Wow. <laughs> and uh, I, what was that I, turbo I'll never button? Forget it. What was that turbo button? It Supposedly was it, really it was an overclock. Supposedly it was an overclock button. Why anybody would ever not press the turbo? Exactly. Button? I have exactly. Absolutely no idea. It's but, like that's know. like the Seinfeld stand-up where he's like extra strength Tylenol. Like, is there just strength? <laughs> <laughs> and, and I would say, would... Any, anybody <laughs> attending this show who knows what a turbo button is, you're all in the group. <laughs> <laughs> but that's, I can still remember sitting at my desk and, in, and in putting in a, a whole stack of floppy drives to, to get Windows 95 to work. Mm. Yes, yes, I definitely remember that. I remember when we could eventually put it on one uh, like CD-ROM or 
you know? Oh, no, the big thing was when we went to three and a half. Yeah. Five and a quarter floppies were big. Then you went to three and a half. Then you got an actual hard drive. This is like the 89th or 90th episode, and I never get tired of talking about floppy disks. I never get tired of it. I could talk about it for hours and hours and hours. embedded in in, uh, Pyrex or whatever you call it, plastic stuff on my wall. If I had, oh, really? Yeah. If I, you know, when I, we moved in, I've moved a bunch of times and we moved into this, this house in uh, Princeton, Massachusetts, a small town and uh, just moved out of there. But I remember going through every now and then there's some remnant of somebody that lived in the house prior to you that they just weren't able to clean out. And it was a shoebox of, of old, um, of old, like uh, actually three and it was it three and a half. Is that right? Three and a half, like the hard floppy disks. And it was like, you know, test drive and all these old little video games that I remember from like ninth grade. Mm. Anyways, yeah. you remember flying toasters? No. <laughs> oh, yes, 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 man. yes, I do. Yes, I do. Yes, of course I do. No, I just had to think for a second. Um, oh, very nice. So, the would you say the business aspect is uh, the business aspect of your education helped out a lot? The business aspect really helped my relationship with finance and allowed me to build my career because. Uh, Finance and IT don't never mixed well. So having somebody in IT who knew finance was a big help to my CIO at the time and really helped the advancement of my career. So what's that language real quick for anyone out there that does not have a business education? And this is the main theme of this entire podcast is helping IT people speak the language of business and grow their career. What is that? Is there like if they, if you, if if people are if there's a clueless IT director out there that doesn't know how to speak this language of business with finance, what are like the the, the top three bullet points that he could collect that would be like an eye opener for him? And I don't even know if that person exists. I would hope most IT directors have some inkling, but I don't know if they're hey, constantly thinking. I know what you're looking for. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So number one, I can get that done for less. <laughs> it's so simple it's, it's like that's number like, two like what about bob it's i know so simple number two i know this is over budget but don't worry i have i know exactly where i'm gonna make it up even though uh, I, know. <laughs> uh, and, I know it's a- and, and number three i ask for forgiveness instead of permission uh, hmm. and you have to reach a certain level before you can do that and be very confident in what you're doing. All right. So before they get to that level, we got to give them a third one. So I can get it done for less. Great. And then do we rob Peter to pay Paul for the, where we're going to make it up? Is that basically? Yeah. yeah, Yeah. Okay. Okay. But anybody who's ever built a budget knows you got to put fat somewhere. Hmm. Yes. It's kind of like the roads. Like, why are they repaving this road? It, It just got repaved. Like, why are we repaving that? Cause we don't pave it. Like we're not going to have that money next year. Right. Hmm. Hmm. Very good. Very good. If you had one piece of advice for anyone out there listening, uh, what would it be? Do your diligence. Uh, Anything you want to do, do the diligence. Make sure that you know exactly what it's going to cost and how long it's going to take. Any shortcuts? No shortcuts, man. There is no shortcuts to that. Because any shortcut you take is a shortcut to disaster. 
And I say from a perspective of partners, because um, there's certain experts. I mean, like, is there a shortcut from, from, is there a shortcut from the perspective of using other people? In other words, is there a shortcut from, oh, you're doing this, call this guy. He's the expert that he's done it 15 times. Oh, yeah. I mean, there's always ways to get things done more efficiently and better. Uh, by shortcut, I thought you meant business tells you get it out quicker than you're able to. Um, as long as you protect yourself by knowing that whatever you deliver is going to be successful. If you deliver something that's not successful, you've done damage not only to your career, but your reputation with everybody above you. In other words, test, test and verify, POCs, test, verify, test, verify. That's one thing you can't cut corners on. You know, I always hear, well, we don't need a full regression test. Let's just get it out. No, I'm not going to do that because I don't want the customer to be the one to find that page 15 failed. And they're all lawyers and studying to be lawyers. So exactly. uh, it's possible, you know, we, we could get oh, sued. If I ever suffer five <laughs> minutes of outage, take a look at Twitter and see what they call me. It's crazy. Crazy business. <laughs> that is kind of scary considering we're in the business of legal, you know, educating, <laughs> educating lawyers. Yep. And uh, yeah, so I really can't screw up. Yep. Uh, it's been a pleasure having you on the show. Uh, I really appreciate it. I enjoyed this. Yeah, thank you very much.